Hey, it's the Red Letter Disciple, and you picked a great episode to come into today. This one's gonna be amazing, and I'm so grateful. My name is Zach Zender. I'm grateful that you're here. In a minute, I'm gonna be joined by my co-host, Chris Johnson, and our mission with this podcast is to challenge and inspire you wherever you are in your faith journey, that you can grow as a disciple. And so I hope that happens as a result of today's episode, because when we all do this, when more and more of us do this, we will become a better version of Jesus, a greater, fuller, and truer expression of who he really is. That's what's going to change the world. And so today's guest, Nona Jones, is going to help us with that. She's actually coming on on book release day, September 27th. She's getting a new book out there called Killing Comparison. That's something we could all, all need, right? to kill the comparison in our lives. Why do we need to kill comparison? Where does it come from? And, uh, and I want to talk about her journey with it so she can help us in our journey. And I also want to talk about social media. We all, it's around, we all know it. We all, many of us have it. Is it possible to actually use social media for God's glory? There's nobody better to ask than Nona, who is Facebook Meta's like global faith-based partnerships leader. So I'm really interested in hearing her answers. And so I know it's going to be helpful to you. So I want to thank today our sponsor our sponsor today is the Art of Leadership Academy. I'm actually a member of this academy, and so too is my guest today, Nona Jones. And the Art of Leadership Academy exists with one goal. It's to help leaders lead healthier, growing organizations. It's filled with church leaders and business leaders. And many of us, let's be real, leaders, we're not equipped with the practical skills to lead a thriving mission. And as a result, sometimes our staff and our team members, they don't flourish. Um, sometimes we're not having the impact that that we're that we want, and our, our reach isn't what it could be. And sometimes it can feel even impossible to achieve the dreams that God's put inside of you of what could and should be. And so, if you want to lead something that that is more impactful than you're leading today, it's time to get the courses, the coaching, and the community that can take you there. That's all happening inside the Art of Leadership. Academy, whether it's personal productivity or team leadership or leading change or online influence, like all of this is in there. I have been greatly blessed to be one of the mentors in the Art of Leadership Academy, and, and I think you will love it. It's bought, brought to you by Kerry Newhoff and his team, and he's got all of that for you, courses, he's got community, coaching happening every single month, all for the fraction of what a typical conference or consultant would cost. So to learn more and to get access, instant access to like every single course Carrie's ever done and to join the Academy, go to theartofleadershipacademy.com. As a, a member of the Academy, I'd love to see and connect with you there. Come on, if you join, just search for my name on the app, send me a message, let me know you're in and I can't wait to join uh, to be with you at the Art of Leadership Academy. You can go to theartofleadershipacademy.com, sign up today. Thank you, Carrie, and your team for putting this really awesome thing together. So here we go, episode 19 with Nona Jones. Let's do this. All right, well, on the show today, we've got Nona Jones, who we are so excited about to have. She is uh, an incredible disciple of Jesus, who is the global uh, head of faith partnerships uh, for Meta, for Facebook, uh, a pastor, an author coming out with a new book, uh, Killing Comparisons. We're going to talk all about that with her. So welcome to the show, Red Letter Disciple, Nona Jones. How are you today? 
I am great. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, happy to have you. I'm here with Chris Johnson, my pastor friend and co-host. And so, yeah, I, I would love to hear from you, Nona, being the global, the head of global faith partnerships. Uh, I've heard before, you, you were going to dive right into it because it's a discipleship show, um, that you've said the church's goal, which I think is the individual disciples goal as well for social media should be discipleship. Yeah. So can you unpack that and, and let me know a few things uh, for how we make effective discipleship happen on social media? Yeah, well, I do think that sometimes we get lost in the transactional nature of social media. You know, we think it's about posting and commenting and sharing, um, you know, keeping up with friends' lives and, and what they're doing and even people that we're not friends with. Um, but in reality, social technology gives us access. It gives us access to people yeah. in ways that we would not normally get. So sometimes hmm. people will make posts on social media about challenges they're facing, um, you know, difficulties they're going through. And that becomes an opportunity for us to show up for them and mm -hmm. uh, extend compassion, extend grace. I'm sad to say that doesn't always happen. Uh, I have seen instances where, you know, someone transparently shares something they're going through and people just kind of pile on and mm -hmm. uh, continue to tear them down and degrade them. But I do think that it provides an opportunity for discipleship because if we steward our social platform correctly, meaning we steward it for the glory of God, mm. we'll be very careful about everything we post. We'll be careful about what we say. We'll be careful about uh, how we show up for people. And so I, I coined the term social ministry as opposed to social media because we have to remember that everything we do as believers is an opportunity to bring others closer to, to Jesus. That's good. So, so how do you know, no, no, like when do you draw the line? Cause I, I, as a pastor, I know there's lots of church leaders that, that use it well and mm -hmm. it's very influential. Yeah. Uh, I also know that there's other pastors and church leaders that like, and just regular disciples are like, I'm done with social media. It doesn't yeah. do good for me. So how do you know, like what's the line between when it's helpful for a follower of Jesus and when it's more hurtful? I think it's the motive, you know, mm. motive really matters. And, and we know that the word of God tells us uh, that, that God really searches the heart. And so mm. um, sometimes we use social media to build our kingdom and to build our influence. And, um, you know, early on when I started in this work, um, the Lord it spoke something so profound to me um, when I had I had thoughts in my own heart of, man, how can I grow my reach? How can I grow my following? And uh, I heard the Lord say, it doesn't matter how many followers you have if they're not following me through mm. you. And I was like, oh, that's true. Because many times we will focus on building our following and uh, we'll get discouraged if our post doesn't get a certain number of likes or we don't get a certain number of views on our video. We have to ask ourselves, what's behind that? Um, because the truth is, um, if it's all for the glory of God, if just one person likes it or sees it or yeah. um, tunes in, um, that's for his glory. If a thousand do great, if a million do great. Um, but many times we're securing our identity to those markers, like how many people attended my church service, how many people watched my, you know, live stream, because we're thinking about it in terms of our own individuality and our identity. So I think we have to be really careful about that and always check our heart and our motivations. So, so what's the motive, right? I've, I've talked to Chris. Chris, your motive, man, that's what it, that's what it comes back to. What do you think about that? Yeah, so I always said with social media that I try to use it as an encouragement ministry. Like I try to stay away from, I mean, I stay away from anything uh, politically charged. Mm -hmm. I stay away from 
you know, I try to stay away from cynicism and I just try to always like people's posts and make them laugh or encourage them each day. And I just, you know, Nona, I have worked with youth for 19 years and I've seen the effects. Just the other day, I had a girl in my class and she was talking about how she wanted to make some body adjustments to her because her um, she wasn't getting enough likes. And this is a, a 12th grade theology class. And so I just stopped the entire class and I said, wait, wait, did I just hear you correct? Like, mm-hmm. you're that concerned about likes that you would alter your body to uh, get more like mm-hmm. let's talk and we just threw the playbook out and started talking and and i love uh, what you're writing about like comparison i um and not to dive i know zach's going to talk about that later but oh my goodness i think that so many times with social media like especially with young people it mm-hmm. can be such in a comparison trap like mm-hmm. and i have to constantly tell my own kids hey listen there's always going to be somebody out there smarter and and, it, yeah. you know, don't let it be something to depress you. Let it be something to encourage you if you're going to use this. I don't know. And I'm sure you've seen that as the director of of uh, and working in Facebook so much, like mm-hmm. that some of those traps that we talk about. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is, you know, social media tends to get blamed for causing insecurity. Yeah. Um, and while I do believe that social media exposes insecurity, I don't believe it's the source because insecurity predates Snapchat, TikTok, Facebook, <laughs> so Instagram. It, it predates so all of that. Um, right. And one of the, the insights that I had, which actually led me to write Killing Comparison, is I realized that insecurity is not about self-esteem. Like sometimes what'll happen, because I, you know, I'm a parent, I have two boys, uh, nine and 12. What we'll do is when our children start to show signs of um, insecurity, we will try to boost their self-esteem. We'll tell them, Mm -hmm. hey, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and people like you, right? (laughs) That's what you do. But fundamentally what identity is, or excuse me, what insecurity is, is it's a question of what is your identity secured to? Mm. Um, because if your identity is secured to a stable, firm foundation, you're not going to be subject to the shifting currents of people's opinions and trends and their approval. But if it's secured to an insecure foundation, such as physical appearance, what makes Mm. physical appearance an insecure foundation is that two things. One, physical appearance changes over time. It just does. And so the so-called standard of beauty, it ends up becoming this impossible to reach place because no matter how much surgery you have, you're going to age. Metabolism Mm -hmm. is going to slow down. Things are going to happen. Um, No kidding. (laughs) Listen, I'm a witness. That's why physical appearance is an insecure foundation is because people's standard of beauty changes. I mean, if you look at pictures of, you know, let's say in in the U S you know, Marilyn Monroe, right. Mm -hmm. She was very curvy, very voluptuous. And now the standard of beauty is like extremely skinny and almost Mm -hmm. emaciated. Right. 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 Um, And so you end up pegging your identity and securing your identity to something that's insecure. And that makes you insecure fundamentally. So, I have kind of, I know we, we have about uh, 15, 16 minutes left. I, I have something, uh, kind of an off-the-wall question I want to ask you, if you don't mind. Um, so uh, wh- I imagine that you spend a majority, and now you've, you've, got so many ha- um, you've got so many irons in the fire. You're a pastor. You're a mom. You have this big gig at Facebook. 
And I don't even know, like I can barely maintain one job and you, you have, <laughs> and you're writing a book. Somehow you had time to write a book. Are you kidding me? Uh, but uh, here's the question. I, and I'm just curious because I've never spoke to somebody in the inner side of mm -hmm. Facebook. When you guys heard that uh, Elon Musk was potentially buying Twitter, uh, what did that mean for some uh, of the employees? And did that rattle or did that not rattle, but that did you guys talk about that as like an internal team or did you just kind of think oh, this is guys not going to do it anyway and it's not going to affect what we do anyway? Yeah, well, I, so I can't speak for like, you know, the company, but sure. what I can say certainly anything that happens in tech, um, we're always paying attention to just because clearly, you know, that's the sector that we're in. And so we're always interested in like trends. Um, and so it was really more so about just kind of seeing how it would play out. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it was something that was worrying or concerning for us. It was more so like, well, let's let's see where this goes. Um, and so it kind of became its own drama. And hmm. uh, I'm anticipating that we're probably going to see uh, some sort of a biopic <laughs> about that <laughs> situation at some point. Um, but yeah, it was just something we kind of followed individually just to see what uh, what the outcome would be. It really was strange the whole way that the whole thing played out, you know, like we're one day we thought he was going to drop a few billion dollars and then, uh, nope, I guess not. And it would change the <laughs> algorithms and we've already figured out the algorithm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> have, we, have we figured out the algorithm? Yeah, I don't know if we have. but uh, So yeah, Nona, you, you have a book coming out today. Uh, that's yeah. just awesome. It's called Killing Comparison. Reject the lie that you aren't good enough and live confident in who God made you to be. Love the title. Uh, super you. awesome book. I had a chance to read through it in preparation for this. And so uh, I heard a little bit of the insecurity talk already. Is that what led you to write this book or, or why is this book personal for you? Well, I'll tell you. So what actually kicked off the book, um, and I never intended for it to be a book, by the way, um, back in 2020, like other speakers, you know, I had a full year of engagements. Um, I was supposed to be speaking all over the U.S. I was going to be speaking in Singapore and India and Europe and Africa and Brazil. And it was going to be amazing. I had two books coming out. It was going to be an awesome year. Um, but then, of course, you know, the pandemic happened. And so events got canceled. And um, so I had a full, like, I had a clear calendar all of a sudden. And then one morning, um, I went onto Instagram. I typically will just respond to comments in the morning. And I caught a glimpse of my newsfeed before I went to my notifications. And I saw a post from a friend of mine who was announcing the exciting news that she would be speaking at this huge women's conference that normally met in person, but it was going online because of the, the pandemic. And so I saw the post. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Um, and I scrolled down a little more. And there was another friend of mine who was excited to announce that she was speaking at that conference. And I scrolled down a little more and there was another one and another friend and another friend. And it got to the point that I knew all of the speakers. I knew the host. And my mind began to race with questions like, why wasn't I invited to speak? Yeah, you know, right, like, right. why was I overlooked? Why wasn't <laughs> I good enough? You know, why her, not me? And uh, it got so bad that I even, I clicked on, um, my, <laughs> I clicked on my friend's profiles. And I was like, well, how many followers do they have in comparison to me? You know, like I went to their website and I was just like, you know, well, where else are they speaking at in comparison to me? Yeah. And as I was doing this whole, what I call comparison calculus to try to figure out where do I match up in relation to them? Um, I, I heard the Holy Spirit saying, Nona, why does it matter? Mm. 
like why why does this matter and and the only thing i could think of is i was like well it matters because there's this huge event happening and there's going to be thousands of people watching yeah. and i'm not speaking at it and and the lord was like so do you think you only matter to the extent of the speaking invitations you receive <laughs> And I was like, no, like, I know what your word says. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. Before I was formed in the womb, like I was all this stuff, right, that we know. And the Lord said, Nona, see, your problem is not what you know in your head. Your problem is what you believe in your heart. Mm. And because your identity is secured to speaking invitations, because your identity is secured to people's approval, you are insecure, and if you would have told me before this whole thing happened, if you would have told me, no, and I think you're insecure, I would have said that is a lie from the pits of hell because look at all that I've done. Right. Look at all that I've accomplished. How could I be insecure? But it was really the Lord making me see me um, that helped me to realize, number one, I was insecure at that point. Um, and number two, it's so subtle. Yeah. It's subtle. And, 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 and really what it is, is it's comparison-born insecurity. Insecurity is a derivative of comparison and trying to figure out how do I measure up? How do I stack up uh, against somebody else? And uh, yeah, over the course of about a year, I was doing a lot of self-work. And man, when I got to the place of, of freedom, I realized, you know what? I need to document this journey because there may be other people who are experiencing the same thing. And so that's that's really where it came from. And uh, it's been incredible to see how people have responded to the message. It's really been resonating. Yeah, but it's interesting because you didn't get invited to the party. That's basically right. what happened. That's exactly right. You know, like, yeah. and, and like now when we didn't get invited to a party in high school, you didn't know until like two or three weeks later. No now idea. Now if you don't yeah. get invited to the party, you see you all your friends going to the party. <laughs> yeah. And you're you like, what the party. I get? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, do I need a different deodorant? What's going right, on? Right, right. Well, you probably do, Chris. But anyway, <laughs> um, and, and Nona, you said maybe somebody else, this will help somebody else. And they're going through this. I'll put my hand up. That's me. Uh, and so I, I loved reading through it. And I think I just heard you say, so I want, I want to have you clarify, because I think sometimes we think uh, that the line from the book is comparison doesn't cause insecurity. Comparison results from insecurity. And I think, do we flip that a lot in, oh, yeah. in the way that we talk? Because it, it feels like we flip that a lot, but it actually the comparison actually comes from insecurity first. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, because what insecurity fundamentally is, is it's when your identity is secured to something that's insecure. And so mm. you end up comparing because of insecurity. Like because, um, let's say, for example, you have secured your identity to your job title, right? Mm. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you're super excited because you have this job at this company um, and you've secured your identity to it, but then you find out that there's somebody who has a better title. And now you're like, oh, well, I guess my title isn't as important. And I guess by virtue of that, I'm not as important. And so the, the, the reason why I contend in the book that the only secure foundation is who God says we are is because that doesn't change. And who God says we are is not um, in any way um, a, a proximity, in proximity to another person. Like when God created us, I love Jeremiah chapter one and five yeah. because there's a nuance there that we often miss. Uh, when, when, when he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Hmm. What that means is many times we think life begins at conception. We think it's, you know, when the sperm you the egg. But if you really pay attention to what he said, it's before yeah. the sperm met the egg, I knew you. 
Hmm. which means that there was intentionality and there was purpose and there was there was grace on us before conception and and when you really understand that Hmm. you understand that there is no other person there's no man woman boy or girl walking this earth who has more value than you do in the eyes of god and therefore that's the only secure foundation Hmm. that our identity should be secured to no that's really good i can't i can't say how many of these podcast interviews, it, it almost always boils back to identity, identity, yeah. identity. Crazy. So the book focuses on uh, a biblical character that I don't think gets enough love. It's yeah. Jonathan, <laughs> David's friend, Jonathan. And so I think that's cool. Yeah, um, everybody so- always talks about David. Correct. <laughs> right. so, so if I'm comparing him to other biblical characters, which I think your book tells me not to do, <laughs> Uh-huh. One comparison, right? Not many books have been written about Jonathan, but what what about his story struck at, stuck to, true to your story um, that, that you would include him as kind of one of the main characters in it? Well, here's what's funny. Like I, as many times as I've read through the book of First Samuel, like I, I've never studied Jonathan's life. And so God does everything perfectly. And I happen to be going through the book of First Samuel at the exact same time when this whole thing went down with not being invited to speak at the conference. And um, when I got to uh, chapter 13, and you know, Jonathan shows up on the scene. He's not even uh, no, he's not even mentioned as Saul's son. It's just his name just appears, right? And so, um, you know, Saul gets all the headlines. David gets all the headlines. Mm-hmm. But there was something that happened in First Samuel chapter thirteen, where uh, it's a scenario where you know Israel and the Philistines are at war, a war that Jonathan started, by the way. Let's <laughs> that, that's a whole other detail we'll talk about later. But um, so they're at war. And the Bible says that Israel had no weapons mm-hmm. because the Philistines basically forbid any blacksmiths to be available because they thought that, oh, well, they'll make weapons. And so the only people who had weapons at that time was Saul and Jonathan. They were the only people. And where I think my interest got really piqued when it came to Jonathan is when you get into chapter 14, there's a, there's a scene where Saul is sitting under a pomegranate tree with his weapons and 600 soldiers And Jonathan takes his weapons and his one young armor bearer, and he goes by himself to a Philistine outpost, and he defeats like a dozen Philistines by himself. And when he did that, it catalyzed this major confusion where the Philistines started to kill kill themselves, basically. (laughs) And so um, it was in that moment, because he said in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14 and 6, the reason why he went there is he said, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So whereas Saul was sitting under a pomegranate tree because he didn't like feel, feel like he had the weapons and the armies to defeat the Philistines, Jonathan knew that it wasn't weapons or armies that defeated anything. It was it was God. And when you have God on your side, there is no man who can oppose you. And I think that mentality is what allowed him to not be threatened by David. Because if you think about it, many people think that David was a threat to Saul. That's not true. Saul was king. Mm-hmm. He even said in 1 Samuel chapter 20, I think it's like verse 31, he says to Jonathan, when Jonathan is protecting David and he's uh, making excuses and he's defending David, uh, Saul says to Jonathan, do you not know that as long as the son of Jesse lives, as long as David lives, neither you nor your kingdom will be established? Mm. And despite mm. that fact that David was a threat to Jonathan, David was a threat to, to Jonathan's kingdom. Jonathan was so secure in who he was that he he looked at David as a brother. 
I mean, he gave David his weapons. There was a scene that we're all familiar with when Saul and David return back to town from battle and Saul overhears the people singing, you know, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And the Bible says that in that moment, that's when Saul began to eye David. He became jealous. But in that same scene, Jonathan goes over to David, gives David his garments and his weapons. And when I saw that, I realized Jonathan is the hero of this story, yeah. not David and, and certainly not Saul, it's <laughs> Jonathan, because Jonathan proves to us that God's favor on somebody else's life is not a threat to the purpose that he's placed mm. within our own. That's wow. And, that and that's, awesome. that's why I threaded that story throughout the book, because if you want to kill comparison, yeah. you have to learn to celebrate the victory of others instead of seeing them as a threat. Amen. That's so good. So okay. Good. So can you talk about in the book, because it's called killing comparison, mm -hmm. but can comparison ever be a good thing? Uh, like, is there yeah. a healthy comparison sometime? Yeah. Talk to me about that. I'm so glad you brought that up. So yes, comparison in and of itself is, is actually relatively neutral. I mean, comparison, I think, is something that we do naturally just because we have eyes. <laughs> so we see <laughs> things, right? Um, but comparison can take one of two forms. And uh, in the book, I liken it to uh, the physiological process by which we inhale air, all right? So when you inhale air, when you take a breath, what it does is it fills your lungs, it makes you feel invigorated, it makes you feel alive. Um, that's a process known as inspiration. When you inhale air in your lungs, you inspire air and it, it invigorates you. That's what healthy comparison does. When you see somebody else and they're successful and um, you're inspired by their success, that's healthy comparison. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, when you exhale air out of your lungs, that's the physiological process known as expiration. So you're expiring air. And that's why when you take your last breath, it's called your expiration date. Mm. Um, when you expire air, you feel tired, you feel fatigued, you feel uh, discouraged and degraded. And this is why toxic comparison is what expires us. And really, whether you are inspired or expired by another person, it depends on the posture of your heart. Yeah. Because if you think about it, going back to social media, um, two people can see the same post one person can walk away inspired, another person can walk away expired. So it true. really is a function of what's yeah. happening in your heart, which is why I spend so much time in the book trying to help people do the self work to mm. figure out like, man, what's going on within me? And what insecure foundations have I secured my identity to that's making me see this person's success as my personal failure? Wow. One more question on on the book, and then and then we'll let people know where to grab it because it's brand new. This is awesome. Um, but <laughs> yeah. what is you talk about this, uh, and, and people just got to hear it. What's the superpower when it comes to uh, finding our worth and identity in this world um, that you talk this. about in the book? Yeah, yeah. The superpower is humility, and. Uh. Humility gets a bad rap in our society. Um, we live in a society where it's like, you know, toot your horn, brag, you know, boast. And, and the reality is humility is not 
thinking lowly of yourself. Humility is not degrading yourself. What humility is, is it simply fully occupying the lane of life that God has given to you without comparing that lane to somebody else's lane. Like we've all been given gifts. We've all been given experiences that that have shaped us uh, into the person that we are today. And that really is to serve the purpose for which God decided we were necessary for creation. And I think where we mess up is when we start peeking into other people's lane and we're like, I want to do what they do, but that may not be the purpose that God designed within you. And so um, humility becomes a superpower because once you are truly living a humble life, you will fully occupy your lane. You will fully focus on what's in front of you and you'll be able to celebrate other people and not see them as a threat. The thing about your lane is that there's no one in front of you and there's no one behind you. It's your lane. Yeah. So figure out what your lane is and fully occupy it. And you will not see other people as a threat. You've never driven in Orlando. (laughs) (laughs) Well, certainly in that case, you have a problem. (laughs) It comes to purpose. It's just your lane. (laughs) So good. I love your take on humility. And one of the lines from the book that I just, I wrote down, I, I highlighted, I underlined where insecurity sees a competitor humility sees someone to celebrate so good all right final question we ask all of our guests on the red letter disciple is at the end of the day we want this podcast to uh, to challenge disciples to grow in their faith as disciples and so if you could issue one challenge practically for all the listeners all those that are maybe watching on youtube uh, what would be the one challenge nona that you would want to throw down to our audience I would want you to think about who is the person that triggers your insecurity, whether that's a person Mm. in real life or whether that's a person on social media. And I want you to reach out to that person and I want you to say something encouraging to them. And then I want you to just get on your knees before God and I want you to pray for God to enlarge their territory. Pray that God will bless them, that he will favor them um, and do that with a sincere heart because we reap what we sow. And when you ask God to bless others, you will reap the blessing yourself. Well, Chris Johnson, it sounds like I'll be praying for an enlarged territory for you this week. Uh, You're going to be hearing from me. (laughs) All right. So there you heard it, challengers. If you take on that challenge this week, will you hashtag Red Letter Disciple on all the socials? Or if you're watching on YouTube, you can throw it in the the comments below. Uh, Nona, if people want to connect more with you, you you are such a blessing. And I love your words. I I think that this is such an important topic. Absolutely. uh, This day of age. If they want to grab the book, anything at all, where, where can they find you? these days? Sure. So you can head to killingcomparison.com and there's all the information there. And then if you want to connect with me on my socials, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, all of it. Um, Same username at Nona, not Nora. (laughs) N-O-N-A, not N-O-R-A. Right. Nothing wrong with Nora. We're not comparing ourselves to Nora. But hey, Nora, listen, if I Nora. had Nora Jones's bank account, I would be in good shape. So. <laughs> oh, man. Would you, do you think this is, would be a good book for like high school kids as well? 100%. Yeah. And I have some examples in the book um, relative to my own experience in middle school and high school that I think are very relevant to what uh, kids are going through today. Well, I'll be buying a few. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) There you go. Well, Nona, thank you so much for joining us here on Red Letter Disciple. Uh, You've been such a joy and uh, I love that you're sharing the message that you're sharing. So thank Thank you you so much for fully occupying your lane. Thank you for having me. This has been such a blessing. I appreciate you. God bless. Take care.
what an amazing conversation. Nona, thank you for coming on today. And like, I'm praying that you have a killer book launch day today, September 27th, and that a lot of people are killing comparison because of you. That's awesome. So hey, to see Nona and access any of her works, to check out her, her book, uh, any of the links mentioned, every single week we provide show notes, which have all the links to get with the guests, to get with us, and to connect with the sponsor. We put the key insights, sometimes even the not-so-key insights, some of the funny stuff that comes up in the episodes, all in one convenient place for you. And that's at redletterpodcast.com. There as well, you can see all the other past shows. Connect with us at Red Letter Disciple. Hey, next week is going to be awesome. But first, though, thank you, Carrie Newhoff, you're sponsoring. Nona Jones and myself are two of about 40 mentors in the Art of Leadership Academy. And we want to see you in there. If, if, you, if you want training, if you need courses, if you just want a community of like-minded people to throw ideas and questions at, this is a really, really awesome network. So you can go to theartofleadershipacademy.com to sign up today. Hope to see you there. If you come on in, send me a message through their app and let me know you're in and let's connect there. Next week, Bill Woolsey is coming on to the show. Bill left actually the pastoral ministry and he became a leader of a business called 5-2, which is an organization that helps start new ventures, new kingdom ventures. So we have a great conversation about entrepreneurs, about how his business combines like Mother Teresa and a Mark Cuban philosophy. I, I think it's pretty cool. And what stops some of us from creating new ventures or new things in our life, from doing new things in our life? So it's a, a really awesome conversation. And I even get a chance to pitch a business idea to Bill, who is like the guy to pitch ideas to. And he tells me whether it's great or maybe he shoots it down. We'll see what he says. And you're going to find out more. What a cliffhanger. Come on back next week. And here's the way we know you're going to come back. If you subscribe or follow, it'll automatically show up in your feed next Tuesday. And while you subscribe or follow and hit those little buttons, we hit the five stars and kudos and even more points if you can give us a five-star review. That means the world to us, allows us to be able to keep doing this. And so we'll see you back next week on the Red Letter Disciple with Bill Wolfe. A Huda Media Production.